In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. As we transition from holiday season to New Year's, there's often this reflective time of year when everyone's thinking about what's their intention for the upcoming year, or maybe it's a reflection of what did we accomplish this past year? What are we proud of? And looking back at pictures and memories and accomplishments. I'm not necessarily, when I think about like intention setting, obviously we are embarking on a gap year and that has been a five-year intention. It's not just something we pulled out of thin air. It's not like a New Year's resolution. It's understanding your why, who's going to help you get there, and what is it you need to do today to advance towards your ideal life. And as this is publishing, I'm in the final throes of W2 work, merely weeks from our departure in the RV for our family gap year. And this has been years of just setting this intention and working towards making progress And one of the tools that got me there was the Best Year Yet framework. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes because if you need a tool or a framework just to guide you through the process, it started me on this path in 2018. And I have a discount code now to share with you. I'm so excited. I've negotiated it with the owners. So that link is going to be in the show notes. It's ordinarysherba.com backslash BYY. And it's an online framework, but it's also got this accountability built into it. So you can send yourself reminders, you can set up a matrix to really keep you on track. And I think that's really been one of the critical factors in advancing our idea of taking a family gap year with kids. It's also about surrounding yourself with the right people. And after I wrote the book, Beyond Normal, I had several readers ask, but how do you find your people? which is why I invited our guest today. You'll hear some tips on setting intention, but also the importance of showing up in real life and then checking in with how that person makes you feel. One of the strategies I ended my W2 work on was understanding the game-changing nature of connection and community building and moving from surviving to thriving. So there's significant research out there, and I'm not going to go into that on this episode here, but That connection, like real human connection, is one of the critical factors in advancing your goals. So finding your people, having that community is really important. Our guest today is the founder of the Economy Conference, a party about money designed specifically for the FIRE movement. Financial independence, retire early. She is also the host of the popular podcast, Optimal Finance Daily, where she narrates articles from the best personal finance blogs on the planet. After getting out of $30,000 in debt in 11 months, she used her newfound financial freedom to negotiate a remote working arrangement with her employer, then take two-month unpaid sabbatical to walk 500 miles across northern Spain on the Camino de Santiago and launch her own business. Diana Merriman, I am so stoked to have this conversation. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Well, thanks so much for having me. 
Let's talk about your story because I think it's fascinating. First of all, I love hearing stories of empowering women who've decided to design their life in alignment with their values. And so I know you were employed. You took an unpaid sabbatical. Let's just kind of give me a little uh, up until then. What was the story of Diana Merriman like and how did you get to that point? Sure. So I would say like all growing up and even like going to college and starting my career, I was like overly ambitious, like in a probably fairly obnoxious way, right? Like I think I had ideas of grandeur. Like I would tell people when I was a kid that I was going to be the world's highest paid female CEO, which is like how obnoxious is that, right? And so, you know, I was a straight A student in school. I went to college on a full academic scholarship, graduated with a 4.0 and you know started a career in marketing and i think i was always so career focused and always had this idea of climbing the ladder and just being a success whatever that's supposed to mean and i ended up getting to around 28 and i was like ticking off all these boxes of where i wanted to be at in my career and like you know i was about to reach six figures before turning 30 which was a huge goal of mine just because some professor in college told me if you were to make six figures before 30 that would mean you're like doing really well right so i i think i had a lot of like external motivation and when i got to around 28 was when I really started looking at my money more seriously because I would say in my 20s I was like completely financially illiterate the only thing I knew about money is that I need to make more of it <laughs> and so when I got to around 28 and I started really trying to educate myself about money and fix my financial situation I realized that I was 30 grand in debt for like no reason I had no idea that I was in that much debt until I ran a credit report on myself so that was kind of a huge wake up call and I think it had me really questioning the way that I was living and what I was prioritizing and the fact that I put this externally motivated idea of success before my health and relationships and really taking the time to explore like what do I value and what do I want my life to look like and what do I actually enjoy outside of what people tell me I should enjoy. I think that kind of self-exploration in the time when I was digging out of debt, so I discovered the FIRE movement, which it sounds like a lot of your audience knows, the Financial Independence Retire Early movement. I discovered the Mr. Money Mustache blog, and it completely made me question my relationship with consumerism and how much money I was wasting and not really getting any real benefit from it. So that whole exploration led me to get out of 30 grand of debt in 11 months. And from there, I started saving and investing about 60% of my income. Now, a big motivator for even going down that road is because someone told me I should go walk the Camino. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had this aunt and this aunt of mine, we have a really weird like parallel story in that, okay, this, I don't know that I've ever actually said this publicly about my aunt, but she is the youngest of her dad's five children. My dad was the oldest, but get this about my grandpa. He married a nurse, had three kids, got divorced, married another nurse, had two kids and died when my aunt was really young. Now, 
my story is my dad married a nurse, had two kids, got divorced, married another nurse. My mom had two kids and died when I was very young. And so me and my aunt are the youngest of our father's children. And we have this like real parallel kind of story. And she's always kind of been like, the oddball in my family, I guess you could say, and that she never had children. She lived a life of adventure and I didn't really know her that well. Like I, I think I met her once when I was a kid at a wedding, but I always hear stories about adventurous Aunt Becky and she would write these letters like a kind of a Christmas letter. And it would be like a summary of her year. She didn't write it every year, but I got like a few of them when I was a kid. And I just remember reading them and being fascinated by her. So when I was in college, I ended up taking spring break in like my sophomore year, I think it was, or maybe my junior year. And she lived in Washington state. I grew up in New Jersey. And so I flew out for a week and I stayed with her and we ended up becoming really close. And she had walked the Camino when she was 40. So she planted this idea in my head, like in my younger 20s. And she said that her husband wanted to do it for his 70th birthday. I just thought, oh, that's so far away. I'll just go with them when that happens. Because it felt like it was like light years away, right? So then as I'm you know, going through my 20s, I'm getting into my later 20s. And I remember saying to my aunt one time when I was talking to her on the phone, like, hey, when are you guys going to go do that thing? What was that thing called? And she goes, oh, the Camino. And she does some quick math. And she's like, oh, yeah, Salvatore turned 70 in 2017. I realized that I was turning 30 in 2017. So I thought it was cool that we both had these big birthdays in the same year. And the idea of a 70-year-old man going to walk across a country was like, I couldn't fathom that. Like, I kind of felt like I had to go with them just to, like, help them. Like, how could he possibly do this, you know? And so that really... I would say in the background of like finding the fire movement, the drive to want to go do the Camino to support my aunt and uncle was a big motivator for me in like fixing my financial situation. That's fascinating. So it all went well. Everyone finished the Camino just fine. You learned some things, I'm assuming. Here's the crazy thing. I I mean, I spent years preparing for it, right? Like getting my finances in order to be able to even do it. You know, I was training for it. I was like writing all of these, like my packing list. I was very type A on like trying to prepare for the Camino. And about three months before we were supposed to go, my aunt tells me that they can't go because she just opened up a medical practice and she didn't anticipate doing that at when she decided to do it. And she just couldn't leave at the time that we had planned to go. So I ended up going alone, which I think looking back on it, it's the best thing that could have happened. I truly believe like walking the Camino alone was the right decision for me. Wow. What a journey though. I mean, I think it's funny because I do appreciate and I can resonate with your story about all these external things. Like people tell you what success looks like and you just kind of accept that and embody it and you start doing it, right? Like, okay, I'll do all of those things that you suggest are successful, even though you have no idea who I am. And yet at the same time, Sometimes those are the best things for us when we don't even expect it, such as this Camino experience. You know, like you had said, had you had the choice to not go, but you had spent so much time and energy and gosh, I'm like mental capacity <laughs> preparing oh, yeah. for it, right? Can we tell me a little bit more like the Camino being by yourself? Anything scary? I mean, we talk about adventure being like 
something outside your comfort zone, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be the Camino, but like what were some of the moments on the Camino where you were feeling like I'm the best version of myself right now? And other moments where you were like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> Any of those? Yes. Oh, 100%. So I would say that like the Camino was super outside my comfort zone because up until that point, like I've never been really athletic. I was never really an outdoorsy person. I've never really camped, you know, like, I mean, maybe sleeping in a tent in a yard somewhere, but I always had access <laughs> to like a bathroom. You know what I mean? I wasn't like an outdoorsy person. So my main source of anxiety about the Camino was like getting blisters or like even just my physical capacity to do it. I mean, I was 30 years old, you know, I did it in the year that I turned 30. So I was relatively young, but because I didn't consider myself a very athletic or fit person, I was very apprehensive about that aspect of it. And so a lot of my preparation, so I would say about three months in advance, like it, the first time I ever bought hiking shoes was the, the shoes that I wore on the Camino, which I still hike in to this day, by the way. Awesome. Like a lot of people talk about the Camino and that they throw their shoes out at the end. I mean, it's five years later and I am still hiking in the same boots. Merrell's. Yeah. I'll just tell you, it's Merrell's. Everyone <laughs> go out and buy a pair of Merrell's. So I spent about three months just trying to train and break in my shoes because I, I was reading a lot about like preparation. And I had talked to probably at least 20 people that had done the Camino that for them to like review my packing list. What's interesting about it is I have a list now that I share with people who are telling me that they're going on the Camino. But the interesting thing about it is that like everybody needs slightly different stuff. Like the things that people told me I would definitely need, I didn't need. And then the things nobody told me about, I wish I would have brought. Mm. So while I was on the Camino, you know, I was journaling every day and I was like making my own notes on like how I'm going to adjust it when I do it again, because I will do it again. I'll tell you more about that later. But I would say even before actually getting on the Camino, the Camino magic was like already swirling around me. So like, I am a very extroverted person. I know we're going to talk about community and like how important that is, but I would just randomly meet people that had done it or they had known someone who had done it. And so they would like connect me to be able to like neurotically ask all of my questions and continue on my type A planning. So I'll give you a crazy example. I moved from New York City to Cincinnati in May of 2017. So this is before I walked to the Camino. I did the Camino in September and October. And I didn't have a car when I first moved to Cincinnati. A big reason was because I was training for the Camino. So I would like force myself to walk everywhere and like walk to the grocery store and carry my stuff back in my pack, you know. There was a reason why I had like needed to rent a car or maybe someone let me borrow their car, but I decided to go to Trader Joe's and like load up on stuff since I had a car and I could. And so I go to Trader Joe's and you know how like the cashiers are like super friendly there. They always are, like are trying to chit chat with you. I was explaining to this woman like why I was buying like so much stuff, you know, because I, I don't have a car kind of thing. I had just mentioned that I was going to Spain in September and she's like, by any chance, are you going to walk the Camino? Oh, cool. And I was like, actually, I am. And she was like, well, I got to connect you with my friend, April, who just got back from walking the Camino. 
And I was like, great. And so we exchange information. She connects me with April, who lives like an hour away. April ended up letting me borrow her pack that she had walked the Camino with twice. So it had like good Camino juju in it. (laughs) And so I used her pack to walk. There were a number of people that let me borrow stuff from them. I don't know if that's a typical thing of people that do the Camino, but I just had a friend that walked the Camino and I gave her my fanny pack to use because having my fanny pack was one of my favorite things. So I like wanted her to experience how convenient it is to have that. So anyway, I felt like the Camino magic was like already happening well before I ever got on the trail. I think the overarching like positive thing about the Camino is this sense that you're guided and you're protected. And even when the shit hits the fan, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Because things are always going to go wrong. But like, I'm still here talking about it. Like it worked out okay. So I'll tell you like maybe within the first week or two, I usually carried around 200 euro on me because I didn't know when I'd get to an ATM again. And a lot of those like small little towns only take cash. And so at some point somewhere, I dropped my cash. Mm. And I was kind of upset about it, but I had a friend with me who covered my costs until I could make it to an ATM and then I just paid him back. And as much as it's like a bummer to lose money, I was able to internalize it and say, you know, I have plenty of money. I'm fine. I hope that someone that really needed it picked that up. Mm. And to be able to like have that attitude about something that quote unquote went wrong is like atypical for me. So I would say that's a Camino gift for sure. Yeah. And I've heard that too. Like people show up and I think that's also maybe, you know, maybe it's Camino, but maybe it's the adventure community. We've had some bad incidents happen on the trail and it does seem like when those things happen on trail, people show up and take care of you. Not that you should expect that maybe, but it happens. It's part of the magic of this outdoor community as well. I love that story, though, because I think it also was a telling point in your mindset, it sounds like. Like, oh, I have enough money. I hope someone else picked it up is a different way to think about something being like, I can't believe this happened. Why did I lose my money? You know, there were so many negative things we could have attached to that experience as well. Oh, 100%. I mean, a lot of the things that I feel like I stress about or worry about or get, you know, upset about, it's like this. these are all first world problems. Yeah. The reality is that I'm fine. The only problem I really have, I think, is almost like losing touch with the side of myself that knows I'm okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love your, t- your story even leading up to it because I think that is so such a great example too of people sharing stuff with you and you sharing stuff with others. Like that embodies some of the community stuff that I wanted to talk about too. Like people will look out for you on trail, off trail, before trail, after trail. Like there's so many people out here willing to help you out. And I think sometimes it's easy to feel isolated. Like, oh, I have to figure out all the things. And if this doesn't go right. I'm going to be screwed or this, all these things could happen. I'm embarking on a gap year. So you can tell like all those things Mm -hmm. are going through my head right now of, oh, I forgot about this and I haven't done that. And I forgot about this and I still have to figure that out. But yet at the same time, there's a little bit of knowing that it'll all be okay. And I think that part of community is so exciting. And I'm curious, how have you seen community extend? I mean, you gave some great examples with Camino, but beyond that, so you come back from Camino what does your life look like now and where are you at and kind of what is what is driving you towards the next step? Yeah. 
Before I went on the Camino, I had started going to this conference that sounds crazy. It's called the World Domination Summit. Uh Like who produces that pinky in the brain or whatever? (laughs) That's not happening though anymore, is it? I think they had their last one. They just had the last one this year. I was there. Yes, they had a 10-year run. It's a pretty amazing event. And even before I went on the Camino, I had the idea of like, I want to do something that makes people feel this way. Because when you go to an event like World Domination Summit, you leave feeling like your life is so full of possibility just because you're surrounded by people that have very like expansive growth mindsets. And so I really wanted to create something that would make people feel that way, but specifically about money, because I think getting my money right is what has allowed me to like create more space and exploration in my life. And so I had that idea, but then I thought, well, I can't take any action on this until after the Camino, because I thought I was going to go on the Camino, figure out my whole life, meet my husband. (laughs) Like I thought that like I could be living in another country. Like I just had, I walked into it thinking like anything can happen, you know? And so I, I couldn't really commit to anything until I saw how the Camino went. And when I got back from the Camino, it was actually really hard because all of that stuff that I thought was going to happen and like figuring out my whole life. And I thought I was just going to come back a different person. And that actually didn't happen. Mm. I didn't really figure everything out. I think I gained more awareness on like where my weak points are or the things that I need to work on. But, and that was hard. Like coming back from the Camino was hard. Like it was kind of a let that experience in some ways was a letdown, but with the gift of time, I can look back and see that like I got exactly what I needed from that Camino experience. And I want to do it again to have other experiences on the Camino. One thing that I definitely gained from the Camino is that sense of community. Because I think when people are walking towards a common goal, and like on the Camino, you are literally walking towards a common goal of reaching Santiago. There's just this like, immediate sense of camaraderie is the word that I'm thinking of where it's like you feel like you know people even though you don't really know them the only thing you know about them is that they're crazy enough to walk 500 miles across the country so they must be my kind of person (laughs) and I can think of so many moments like now now my head's like flooded with Camino stories but I remember this one morning I had gotten mauled by bed bugs in a hotel I had gotten a hotel room because I was I had a cough and I didn't want to like keep people up in sleeping in the albergues or hostels, whatever you want to call them. And so I ended up getting a hotel room that night and I had gotten mauled by bed bugs. So I kind of woke up freaking out about that, not knowing what to do. I got to wash my stuff like I've got to figure this out. I was really uncomfortable. And so I just started walking really early that morning and it was like pitch black out. And I didn't have a headlamp at that point. I ended up buying one later. And so I'm starting to walk and I'm using like the light on my phone. And this other guy start is kind of like walking along the same way. And, you know, there's no such thing as like stranger danger on the Camino. <laughs> if 
this guy starts kind of walking next to me and he asked me like, Hey, do you think we can like put our lights together to have more light? Cause we were both using like cell phone lights. And I was like, sure. And he's like, well, how are you doing? And I'm like, well, I got mauled by bed bugs and I fell in love with an Australian man and I'm chasing him across this country and all of this stuff is going wrong. And like, just, you know, unloading my drama onto this guy. And he goes, well, I didn't sleep last night and I think my wife wants to leave me and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Like literally in like the first 30 seconds of meeting each other, we just like laid it all out. That is the kind of connection I think is super easy when you meet people with a common goal. That's what really pushed me to get more into the FIRE community because there's a huge online community for people pursuing FI, but... I don't know if you've been on social media lately, but like people are really shitty to each other online. Like I, as much as people want to say that they're like welcoming and nice communities, I don't know if it's just my perception, but I just feel like there's a lot of negativity when people are hiding behind a keyboard, the kind of person that would actually walk out their door and talk to you face to face is just a different breed of person in this day and age. Right. And so I started going to Fi events like Camp Mustache, Camp Fi. I knew I wanted to produce my own event. I was going to FinCon. And now that I'm into podcasting, I'm going to all these podcasting conferences. And I just, when you surround yourself with people that have common goals, it's almost like you are able to kind of get their expansive energy through osmosis. And a lot of these people that go to events like this, they're just, they're not the kind of people that you meet every day. They're kind of rare, you know, they're, they're, they're living unconventional lives. And so they just have more interesting things and ideas and books that they're reading. And, you know, I just always find there's no small talk mm. in when you meet these kind of people. It's like, you're just going deep yeah. immediately. And I find that so satisfying. Like I remember coming back from the Camino and I had just spent two months like, having all of these deep conversations and talking about life direction and deep stuff and childhood trauma and spirituality and just like all these like super, cause when you're walking with someone, let's say eight hours a day, it all comes out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And in my last job, I had worked in like, you know, licensing brand extension, but we had a segment of our business that represented like big celebrities like JLo for instance. So I remember coming back to New York and I was diving back into my job And I had been invited to go out to this dinner with my boss and like another colleague who was in from L.A. And they're just talking about this like photo shoot with J-Lo and how her butt was hanging out half the time and A-Rod this and that. And I just remember sitting at this dinner and being like, who cares? You know, (laughs) it just seemed so superficial and stupid to after going from like two months of talking about really like the deep questions of life to like what JLo was wearing. Right. It just, it just was so like, what am I doing here? You know, that was probably the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> well, it's funny because when you start to get really clear about what your values are, like you were just a dirtbag on the Camino for how long, right? And you realize what actually matters as opposed to then you come back to this uh, rich and famous life and you're like, wow, I really... 
I don't know. I have been around wealthy people for a significant amount of my life. And, you know, it's funny because I've met like Matthew McConaughey and Michael Phelps and those are at events and stuff like that. And people are like, oh, my gosh, I would do anything to meet him. I'm like, why? He's it was lame. Like it was a quick hello, great, nice to meet you. Like they want to lead normal life. I don't know. It's been really fascinating because (laughs) I'm actually leaving a really good job that I love to go live in a van down by the river. Like if you really put Mm -hmm. it in context, you know, I'm like, that's what I'm choosing to do is I'm actually choosing less as opposed to all these things that people have told me are success and all these external factors. Everybody's been craving for all these years. I'm like, yeah, I had it all, I guess, but that's not really what's important. So it's interesting how... I'm kind of hearing that in your story as well. Like, yeah, there were things of that. And you're like, who cares about all that fluff? It's really interesting because when you talk to people about this kind of stuff, and especially because I talk to, about money every day now, you know, I host a podcast about money. I produce an event about financial independence. And when people hear like, oh, you must be like living large or like to be good with money means that you have a lot of like material abundance. And I think if you're like super focused on material abundance, you'll never experience the kind of abundance that I think is more interesting, which is time abundance, relationship abundance, creativity abundance, space in your life kind of abundance. Mm -hmm. Like one thing that I have been saying recently is the less materialistic you are, the more idealistic you get to be. The idea of like going away for two months and walking the Camino, most people can't fathom actually doing that. They feel like there's not enough space in their life to do that and also have that keeping up with the Joneses lifestyle. And they're right. I think that you have to choose what's more important. And our society is not built to teach us that there is more to life than having nice stuff. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh, that's so awesome. I think that mindset is so critical. And also having people who understand that. I had heard you on a, on another podcast quote, you know, you got to pay attention to the people who are in your circle because if they're keeping you in your space, it's not a circle, it's a cage or something like that, right? Like, yeah. how did you start to realize who, I don't want to say who was in and who was out, but like, how did you start to realize who actually was with you on this journey and who might actually be holding you back? Mm. I think it was fairly organic. Like, I don't think I went through a process of like looking at everyone in my phone and being like, you're a loser, delete number, (laughs) you know, like I think it just kind of organically naturally happened when I would meet someone, I'd really pay attention to how I felt after I interacted with them. And if I felt energized by them, then that to me was a clue that this is someone that I should be spending more time with, or this is someone that I should consult when I'm trying to make a big decision. And that to me, like the the decision to quit my job was a really challenging decision for me. And I called on my five friends in making that decision and having them review my numbers and give me reassurance that I was actually in the financial position to make this take on this big risk. I left my job after nine years due to it turning into a really discriminatory environment. I ended up being the only woman on my team and I was one of the highest performers and yet I was the lowest paid. And when it came to light that that was not going to be corrected after I had like worked up the courage to call it out, I felt like my integrity was like, you have to leave. Mm -hmm. But I was still scared. 
And so even though I had the money, I still needed like the emotional support from an expansive minded community to like help me make that decision and take that jump. But, you know, there was probably like one person that read my exit letter and they were like, don't submit this, don't burn bridges. And I was like, yeah, you're not my kind of person. Like you're not the kind of person to, and not saying that I, I'm surrounding myself with yes men, but her rationale as to why I shouldn't speak my truth was a very fear-based rationale. Mm. Like don't burn bridges because you might want to work with these people in the future. And I'm like, actually, these are the kind of people I don't want to work with. And I'm in the financial position to not have to tolerate bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And I know we're going to talk about kind of this switch to fun employment, which I guess I could jump into it now. Making that decision, I've been able to craft this lifestyle where I call it fun employment because it doesn't really feel like I have a job if I'm only working eight hours a week. And I'm like recording podcasts. Like what we're doing right now, this doesn't feel like work. Yeah. It's like (laughs) a conversation, right? It's Yeah, Yeah. We're just chatting. We're just chatting fun employment, which to me means you're in the financial position where you still want to work and you want to contribute, but you get to be super picky about what work you do, how much you work and who you work with and challenge the assumptions around just a lot of the ingrained beliefs we have about work and the nature of work and what it says about us. Mm -hmm. To me, fun employment is kind of like questioning all of that. Yeah. I love that. I heard a quote recently that really resonated with me that said, making money is easy. Making money aligned with your values is really hard. Yeah. And that to me hit the nail on the head where like I was making money in my corporate career. And in a lot of ways, like I definitely benefited and I built up skills that still serve me today. What I was actually contributing to the world, I didn't care about consumer products. Like in my personal life, I was shunning all of that. I was very, I'm very anti-consumerist in my personal life. So there was this mismatch of values in the way that I was living my life versus the way that I was making money. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I am using my financial bandwidth to kind of rectify that. Yeah. 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 I appreciate all those comments. I was thinking a couple of different things too. We have a, we, we've kind of rephrased fire to be financial independent recreational employment, which I think is very similar to your concept of fun employment, because we were joking. There were so many things we wanted to do when we were kids or like young adults before we had kids that we, my husband and I were kind of like, gosh, what would we love to do? And if we got paid for it, it would be like an awesome bonus, but we don't necessarily, you know, like we're at that place now where we can just experiment with things and we're doing it. Like that's how we're finding what we want to do next is we say yes to a couple of things every once in a while thinking like, is this it? And then if we, we don't like it, we can say, yeah, that wasn't it. (laughs) Start over again. It doesn't feel as, I don't know, committed. I, I don't know. It's, it's been a fun iterative type mindset as opposed to like, okay, I have to make the right decision for these reasons. Because again, money's not driving potentially the motivation behind it. Like you said, making money's easy, but if it, if it's not aligned with your values, that's really hard. Exactly. And I think that's been an interesting journey. It's also been fascinating having, so I haven't formally left. I have six weeks left at my W2 and I like my job. So it's interesting because I haven't found a lot of people that left a job they loved to do this. You know, I found a lot of people around the internet that 
are leaving on, you know, I don't want to say bad terms, but like they're leaving in pursuit of something better. And while that mine is better, I still like my job. So it's been an interesting kind of grieving process almost. Were there any points of this that you were like, I made after the fact, you know, that you were thinking, gosh, I don't know that I made the right decision or that you really struggled after you left your employment? Or did you feel like, nope, I was very clear. I did all the work and things are headed in the right direction. There are a couple of things that I miss that I just haven't quite figured out how to recreate. Like it's not, it's, I wouldn't call it a regret. It's just a signal of like, I think there's a way for me to recreate this. So like, for example, talking about community and being an extreme extrovert, like I get energy from other people and now I'm a solo entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And so building the economy conference, which is, you know, my event that I produce and doing it completely alone has been way harder than the Camino. Yeah, (laughs) I used to think the Camino was the hardest thing I've ever done. And building this business is like way harder. So I would say working with people that I have worked with some really talented colleagues, having that close feeling with colleagues where we feel like family because we're doing a hard thing together. And that's very similar to the Camino, right? You you f- have a feeling of closeness with other people when you go through challenges together and when you accomplish things together. And so that aspect of work, I do miss. There are moments where I fall into like that scarcity mindset where I miss the money and I have to have my expansive-minded friends remind me that any discomfort that I'm feeling right now is not going to be fixed by money. I already have enough money. So making more money isn't really going to do much for me at this point. But we are conditioned to think that more is better. Right. Right. And so to have to like continually remind myself that like I don't need more, I need enough is something that I still battle with today, especially because I think I had a lot of ego tied up in my salary, like making a good six figure salary definitely contributed to my sense of self-worth. So to not have that, like this year, I actually just had a meeting with my CPA for like end of year planning. And this is like the least amount of money I've ever made, like since college. This year is like the least amount of money I've ever made, which is fine. I'm doing fine financially. My my expenses are super low. You know, I'm not going into debt. I'm not having trouble like covering anything. I'm saving less, but you know, it's not a problem since being coast fi and having my emergency fund and my cash cushion and all of that. But it's still a little uncomfortable, right? Like we can we can have ego tied up into growing our income. And being really proud of that. And so having to kind of unravel that my sense of self-worth can't be dependent on my income um, has been a process for me, for sure. That's very insightful because I think that's the piece that people often identify in terms of their identity. It's hard to decouple your identity with your salary or with your title or with whatever those things are that we've been conditioned for so many years to consider like, oh, that's success. I would love, though, to talk about your new form of success. I want to hear all about this event that you're creating because I think this is I'm just super stoked, actually. Everyone that I've talked to that's going, I was like, perfect. You're my, like, that is who I was hoping to meet at this conference. So tell us about economy. When did you create it? What what can someone expect? And, and what's like the mindset? You talked about World Domination Summit earlier. 
Um, but talk about how you kind of used that to really propel you into creating this event. Yeah. So I had mentioned before, like, you know, every time I'd gone to World Domination Summit, like I remember sitting in the audience, like listening to a speaker and I was having all these ideas come to me that like weren't even about what the speaker was talking about. I was just in a very expansive mindset while I was there. And I think physically being there is incredibly important in order to like feed off of that energy, which is why I don't offer a virtual option. I I actually record all the main stage speeches and they're up on my YouTube channel for anyone that's like only interested in the main stage content. I'll give that to you for free. You don't pay for a ticket for that. You pay to like be in the room and meet incredible people. And one of the things I love to say is that Phi is better with friends. Mm. There have been studies that show like what is the thing that leads to the most longevity and happiness in your life and it's relationships. And so what is the point of retiring early if you have no one to hang out with is kind of my philosophy. I think economy, I describe it as a party about money because it really is. It's not a stuffy financial conference. You're not going in there with your spreadsheet. Most of the people who go to economy, about 70% of our audience are really in that accumulation phase. So they're fairly financially savvy already. And so I have this like incredible task in bringing together programming and content where you leave feeling like you learned something that surprised you, but that you also facilitated connection with the other attendees. That's really the goal. And I think that we at Economy really solve two problems that I see for people that are pursuing FI. The first one I've already touched on, which is community. FI is better with friends. You know, I think about my best friend who I'll be hiking with tomorrow. I met her at Economy yeah, and awesome. she retired two years before me. And she was actually in a unique position to coach me when I was making the decision to quit my job. This community, like if you have never interacted in person with the Phi community, I, I have to tell you, you're missing out. They are the most creative, generous most accomplished, smartest people I've ever met. Like the idea that, you know, everyone worries about like, oh, do I have enough money to retire? Like people stress about their FI number, which I host actually at my house, local meetups where we do case studies where people like open up the books and we like analyze their numbers and their FI strategy. And it's like people come in here and they've got these like incredible skill sets. They're super talented and connected. You are in such an amazing position to do whatever you want to do in your life. The only problem you actually have is just being scared and having a scarcity mindset. So I think that when you're around people that are taking risks that are kind of similar to you financially, and you see them kind of living expansive lives and and questioning these assumptions on what they can and can't do, it just it just motivates you and inspires you. There were a lot of people that I heard from after the last event, like one guy actually put in his reg resignation the Monday after economy because he was so inspired by the other people's stories about retiring because about 20% of our audience are already fi and like fully retired. Um, there was another woman who walked in and got like a 25% raise the following Monday because she was just so motivated by other people's stories. So anyway, community is kind of the 
first problem that we solve, the crux of that first problem. And then the second issue I think we solve is that when you first learn about financial independence, a lot of us are super gung-ho about it, right? Like I remember first finding the Mr. Money Mustache blog and I was like slashing all my expenses and focusing on increasing my income and learning about investing and coming up with my investment strategy and plotting out my spreadsheet and my path to FI, right? There's a lot of enthusiasm and in the beginning and you're optimizing a lot of things. But once you're fully optimizing, a lot of like the accumulation phase to FI can get pretty boring, right? Mm -hmm. You're just, you're throwing money into your index funds. You're buying up your real estate. You're, you know, watching your expenses. But after a while, it's like you just kind of, I think, lose your initial motivation. And so people come to economy to fuel the fire because I really focus on bringing in content that's a little bit surprising. And it really helps you, I think, stay in touch with the newness that got you excited in the first place. So I'll give you an example. Like in the FI community, I see people all the time talking about health insurance. It's the number one concern people have in kind of taking the leap. What am I going to do about health insurance? It's talked about constantly. Well, I had a speaker last year that she came in and talked about medical billing fraud, which is an $80 billion problem that no one is talking about. I don't see anyone in the fire community talking about that. So it just is kind of like, it was very eye-opening for the audience to realize, even if you have insurance, there's still this other issue over here with medical billing fraud, and you can learn how to be a better consumer of healthcare regardless of your insurance status. And so that I think was a very surprising and interesting presentation for the audience that was like not something that you normally hear within the community. So yeah, people come to economy to fuel the fire in addition to meeting their five friends. Yeah, I love it. I love it. We are taking a break. Actually, we're coming. We planned our our gap year around economy, just so you know. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> so we're trying to figure this out. It's been a fun um, exploration too, because it was not at all on a route. And then I was like, but we're going. So we're going to have to figure this out. So we're literally like going to be doing a figure eight around the United States to get back to Cincinnati in time to, to make it to the conference. But it'll be good. It'll be good. We're dropping off our ski stuff on our way home and making it to Ohio to Cincinnati in March. If anyone's interested, Diana, is there where can they get tickets or how would you, how can people find you? How can they find out more about this? How can they meet you in person at economy? Absolutely. Yeah. So economy, the next event is March 17th through 19th of 2023. So we are like just four months away as of this recording and you can get tickets at economyconference.com and economy actually is spelled with an M E at the end, not an M Y little fun play on words there. So economyconference.com there, you can read about our programming. You can look at the speakers that I've already announced. We're announcing the next batch in January you can buy your tickets. And then you can also go to our YouTube channel and watch the speeches from the previous events. So you can kind of get a sense of the kind of content we have. I really look at economy as like, it's not just about learning something. It's also like a performance. These speakers are as entertaining as they are informative. And I really think that the production value of the event, like I invest so much in like lighting designers and sound design and attendee experience down to like the comfort of the seat you're sitting in, because I really do think having that experience helps you 
get the full benefit of being there in person. And so, you know, feel free to check out the content on the YouTube channel to get a sense of what you're in for and come party with us in Cincinnati, March 17th through 19th of 2023. Yes. I will put all that in the show notes. We talked earlier and I just want to round it out. You had mentioned you're going back on the Camino. Do you have a plan? Do you have a date on the calendar? Yes. So one thing that really stood out to me about the Camino is I met so many older, wiser people on the trail. I mean, people in their like 70s, 80s. There was a 93-year-old woman walking the trail while I was on the trail. And it really kind of made an impression on me that age is just a number. And so I came up with this goal while I was on the Camino Camino for my 30th birthday that I wanted to do it every 10 years up until 80. And I actually got an arrow tattoo on my wrist um, when I reached Santiago. The arrow is kind of, it's like spray painted everywhere. There's a lot of signage with the arrow that it just helps you kind of find your way, right? It marks the path that you should be taking the trail. And uh, so it became a really meaningful symbol for me. So I want to like get a new arrow tattoo every single time I go. And um, so I am now five years away from the next time I go. I want to do it for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. And yeah, I think it will be a very different experience to see like what changes every 10 years. Absolutely. Yeah. And the discoveries, the experiences, the stories, they're always creating deep memories for all of us. I think whenever we have that opportunity to get intentional, have some time to yourself, it it can really, it's really fascinating. You can repeat an experience over and over and over again, and it's never actually the same. So I'll be curious to hear. Maybe we'll have to re-interview you in five years. (laughs) We'll love it. Yeah. Anything else you want to leave my audience with before we depart today? I just want to thank you for taking the time to have me on your show and and your listeners for listening to my ramblings. Clearly, (laughs) I like to talk and, um, you know, just encourage everyone to, you know, find your own sense of adventure and really question those assumptions that are holding you back from doing the things you think you want to do. And even if you experiment and you change your mind, like that's totally part of the process. I think everyone should walk the Camino, but obviously I'm biased. It's clearly not for everyone, but find your own Camino. Like what is that thing that intimidates you, but also excites you at the same time? And, you know, it's, it's, you're going to learn something no matter what, even if it's not what you expect. I love it. Thank you so much, Diana. So appreciate you being here today. Thanks so much. What a journey. I so appreciate this episode, and I have 11 key takeaways for you from this episode. Number one, Diana was overly ambitious growing up, often listening to external indicators of success, such as, if you make six figures before 30, you're doing really well. At 28 was the first time she looked at her life and started to put other factors in front of the external success indicators. The self-exploration, while dragging herself out of debt, really helped her understand her relationship with consumerism. Number two, the Camino was completely outside her comfort zone. She wouldn't consider herself athletic or outdoorsy, she hadn't ever really camped, and yet she spent three months training, breaking in her Merrill hiking shoes, which she still owns today. Number three, Part of her preparation was talking with about 20 other people who completed the Camino to have them review her packing list. 
The magic of the Camino happened long before she was on trail. Through a sequence of events from not having a car to chatting with the Trader Joe's cashier, she ended up being connected with her friend who lent Diana her pack for the Camino. The overarching theme of the Camino was a sense that you are guided and protected. Number four, losing 200 in euro in cash while on trail was a bummer, but reframing her mindset to, I have plenty of money, I will be fine, I hoped that someone who actually needed the money picked it up. Number five, Diana's story emulates the power of community in adventure. She had people looking out for her on trail, off trail, before trail, after trail. Sometimes adventure can feel like we need all the things, and yet there's a deeper knowing that everything will be okay. Number six, when you attend an event like the World Domination Summit, you feel like your life is full of possibility. Diana thought, I want to do something that makes people feel this way, but about money. I knew that getting my money right helped create the space and exploration I needed in my life. Number seven, when people are walking towards a common goal, there's a sense of camaraderie. If you don't know the person, you know that this is my kind of person. It was that desire that led her to get more involved in the FIRE community. She set out on a quest to meet people in real life, people living unconventional lives, creating a awesome vibe. I wanted to absorb their expansive energy, she quotes, and the result was economy, a party about money with surprise and connection building. Number eight, if you are focused on material abundance, you'll never get to experience the kind of abundance that is more interesting, such as time abundance, relationship abundance, creative abundance. All of these make space in your life. The less materialistic you are, the more idealistic you can be. Number nine, finding her people was an organic process. She began by paying attention to how she felt after meeting someone new. Number 10, fun employment is her definition of being in a financial position to contribute and being super picky about the type and amount of work you want to do and who you want to work with. Any discomfort she has now is not going to be fixed by money. She already has enough money. We are conditioned to think more is better. So reminding herself, I don't need more. I need enough. Number 11, find your own Camino. What is the common goal that you share with others? Make a point to meet your people and absorb that expansive energy that excites you and helps you feel guided and protected. If that's getting your money right to live a more adventurous life, then come see Diana and I at Economy. If this is truly something that you are interested in, join us in real life at Economy. There's only 100 tickets left, and hopefully I'll see you in Cincinnati March 17th to 19th in 2023. But if you aren't really sure what your why is or what you want your life to look like, you might really consider registering for the Best Year Yet online learning and accountability program, and you'll get a discount. It's significant, $75 off, by using my link, again, ordinarysherpa.com backslash B-Y-Y. I have all the links for Diana in the show notes if you'd like to attend Economy, if you'd like to listen to the podcast or watch the previous speakers on YouTube. Those are all in the show notes. Until next week, I hope you are getting a good sense of what you want your new year or 2023 intentionality to be, what you want your lifestyle to look like, the adventures you are embarking on, and keep those adventures alive. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. 
subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.